0: All right, everyone, hello and welcome to this episode of the Burden no of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Brian. You know, today's episode kind of kickstarts a, a special two part series. Um, I was approached by uh, an author team who wrote a book titled Wild Success Seven Key Lessons Business Leaders Can Learn from Extreme Adventurers. This week, I'm going to be speaking with Amy Posey. And next week, I'll be speaking with her writing partner and adventuring partner, Kevin Valilee. Now, what I like about this approach is this is going to share a lot of leadership lessons that have been lived out in literally the real world. We're not talking about corporate America. We're not talking about uh, DOD this time. We're talking about people getting out in the real world and experiencing things that most of us will never see. We're talking about climbing peaks. We're talking about being in remote uh, Arctic wilderness type situations. We're talking about people uh, rowing across the Atlantic. We're talking about people who are jumping out of helicopters in wingsuits. We're talking about people who are engaged in extreme surfing events. Um, But these are people who have shared life lessons of perseverance and grit and determination in accomplishing these goals. So I hope you kind of like this format because uh, I wanted to break the two up and get their unique perspectives on the book. So this episode is going to be Amy Posey uh, sharing her thoughts and her perspective on the book, Wild Success, Seven Key Lessons Business Leaders Can Learn from Extreme Adventurers. I'm going to have a link to their website, and this is always – but if you want to kind of give it a look over, it's just going to be morewildsuccess, all one word.com. .com, morewildsuccess.com. With that, let's dive right into the interview. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. Today's guest, I'm really excited to speak with uh, Amy Posey. She's spent uh, the last 20 years as a management consultant and leadership expert, Uh, she has a, uh, kind of emphasis, if you will, on the neuroscience behind it, uh, which is something that, uh, if you've been a listener of the show, you know, I really enjoy the neuroscience aspect. Uh, she's an adventurer. She's been all around the world. If I remember reading right, you've been, uh, you've, you've hiked and climbed mountains on all seven continents, correct?
1: That is correct, Earl. 100%. Wow. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been around a couple of times and, and definitely enjoy a good adventure every now and then.
0: Oh, no. it's uh, and, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about here today. Uh, her and, and a friend of hers, Kevin Vallely, uh they've written a book called Wild Success, Seven Key Lessons Business Leaders Can Learn from Extreme Adventurers. Uh, I highly recommend picking up a copy of this book. The stories that they share are, are very riveting. Uh, they, they follow a format that I love where you take uh, a story from one world and then bring it and kind of apply it to your, your personal and business uh, life and leadership. And, and that I personally am really drawn to books like that. Uh, but I don't want to sell Amy short because she's done a lot more. Uh, she's the former CEO of Peak Teams before it became the AIP Group, where she still uh, works and does some facilitated instruction with. Uh, and she's the current CEO of the neuroscience-based management development company. And I love this name, Super <laughs> Mega Boss. And as yeah. I said, she's passionate about adventures and has uh, pretty much traveled the globe. Uh, so, Amy, thank you very much for being with us today.
1: Thanks, Earl. I'm super excited to be with you today to talk about some interesting stuff and see where our conversation goes. We've got we, a lot of good ideas.
0: Uh, yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, like, reading through uh, some of the things that you've done, uh, you know, this this discussion might be one of the most boring things you've done in your life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. I lo- well, and I love talking about adventure and leadership and the brain. I, you know, part of it is really there's there's so much to unpack and unlock and the the book was kind of a a first step and and the book was sort of in my head and in kevin's head for a long time and so to finally share these stories and to get people thinking differently around their own leadership with a different context of using the adventure world um like you said they're they're great stories they're amazing stories of these people that we know who are our friends and things that we can all learn from them, um, it makes for a really exciting read. I, the goal was to really go out and create a business book that wasn't boring, that people would actually read to the end. And I think we've succeeded, because so far the the feedback's been really good.
0: Well, I would say yes, you have, and, and as she says, the feedback is fantastic. Some of the uh, reviews and some of the names you've had, uh, review the book, are, are outstanding. Uh, just for the listeners, uh, so Kevin will be next week's guest. So we're going to get uh, Amy's perspective this week and we'll get Kevin's perspective next week. So we will get both authors on here. Uh, You know, with that, let's go ahead and jump in with uh, where I start all of my guests. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, so I I look at it. I'm kind of I'm I'm a glass half full. I'm kind of a glass mostly full and kind of overflowing sometimes, kind of person. And so when I hear the word burden, um, it, it's it's kind of got a negative connotation in a for a little bit for me. I, but you think about leadership and you think about the the trust that people put in you when you are in a position of command and you are a leader. And there's just that deep responsibility, and so I, I guess burden then kind of makes that shift to a more positive thing. It's that holding the responsibility to lead others truthfully and honestly, and to to build trust. And so when I when I think about it, when I think about how leadership is continuously evolving, I've been thinking a lot about um, the the emotional intelligence impact of a burden of command and being able to understand your own emotions and how you show up as a leader and being really cognizant of how your thinking (laughs) patterns behaviors are part of that and that you have a responsibility to really think about how you want to lead in an emotionally intelligent way because people are putting their trust in you to lead them but also take care of them from from a standpoint of emotions too. I think leadership is really evolving these days and those emotional factors um, of how you lead, I think are so critically important in the leaders that I work with and know who spend time in that space of metacognition or thinking about their own thinking and their emotions do a much better job and enjoy the burden of command and take it on which with a much greater responsibility than maybe we've thought about leadership in the past. So it's it's cool to see this evolution because I I definitely started in um, <laughs> in organizations with a much more command and control aspect and I think there's times and places for that, but I've just seen the evolution especially in the last two to four years of a of a just a more elevated, Focus of leadership than we've had in the past, which is amazing to amazing to watch. We're getting smarter about how we work.
0: Yeah, no, and, and I like everything you said there. And it's it's you know especially the command and control thing because you know yeah you're, you're right. It has become a lot more prevalent lately. But uh, you know what I what I love is when you go back and you read uh, some of the 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 ancients, if you will, and and actually the one that comes to mind. He's only. Uh, his texts are only a little over a hundred and about a little over a hundred years old, but kind of the uh, classic command and control uh, for the military was uh, a, a German uh, gentleman named von Clausewitz. But when you read his text on uh, on war, uh, he has a whole section dedicated to uh, emotional intelligence and and getting to know your your people and how to use. That information to be a better leader. Now, he doesn't use the terms we use today, but I, I think what I love about it is, like you said, I think it's finally taken the spotlight. But mm-hmm. it, it's always kind of been there as a backdrop of what separates uh, the 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 controlling leaders from uh, the the really great leaders that just kind of got it.
1: Yeah. Well, that's. That's uh, a big piece of it is is evolving those emotional capabilities and skills to be able to understand our own emotions and, and regulate them in a way that's going to result in a positive outcome and then help others through those emotional trials and tribulations, no matter what what space you're thinking about, whether it's business, whether it's the military, whether it's, you know, nonprofit organizations, doesn't matter what it is, it's, you know, that, The space of leadership, I think, is evolving, and um, the being able to put words and language to our emotions, our emotional processes, it becomes much easier to lead ourselves and to lead other people. Um, I had a conversation, actually, I'm running a book club for a a client with a group of 30 leaders. And it it was funny because we talked a lot about, oh, wow, now I have the language around describing what it is that I'm doing inside, inside my head, inside how I feel, um, to be able to explain it to myself, like know what's happening, have the words for it, but also to be able to help others and help my team. And I think that leadership isn't just about getting the job done anymore. It's really about helping the people grow, develop, and understand themselves and how I operate in a in a day-to-day. And so that's, that's another sort of shift in leadership that I'm seeing that I really – I like to see because I like I knew we all had that and we'd all struggle with it. You know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, we sort of struggled with those emotions and we'd often just suppress or ignore them. And now we're actually acknowledging them, talking about them, realizing they're they're part of who we are. And it's allowing us to show up as our authentic selves day to day, which is awesome.
0: No, I, I agree. Now, uh, before we get kind of too, too far down the road on 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 that. I've got to ask because you are one of those people that have always fascinated me. Like I remember the the first time I read mm-hmm. the story of, of uh, Mallory and, you know, the infamous, why would you ever want to climb Mount Everest? Because it's there. I said, like, that, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, for, <laughs> uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm the type of person, like if I need to do it, like if I needed to climb Mount Everest, I, I'd get up and do it. But like yeah. just sitting here and saying, you know, hey, I got nothing Mm -hmm. else to do this friday i think i'm gonna go climb mount everest (laughs) that's not me Uh, um so so what got you into this kind of adventurer's mindset and, and drew you to that life
1: um so it it's always been sort of there and what's interesting is i didn't i grew up in the midwest i grew up on the south side of chicago i was a city girl um And I didn't see my first mountain until the seventh grade. My sister took me on a camping trip and we went for a hike and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the challenge. I enjoyed the perspective of getting up on top of a mountain and being able to survey a landscape and see it from a different angle. And so that kind of stuck with me and I sort of kept going back to the mountains um, every chance I could get. And I realized like, oh, I really, I just enjoy being outside and I enjoy the the experience, the experience of challenging myself and sort of feeling the the struggle of doing something different that I'm not used to and then overcoming that challenge and feeling the exhilaration and the adrenaline and the and the endorphins of achieving a goal and it's it's not too far away from the the feelings we get on projects that go well and interactions and salespeople when they sell something right like they're very similar sort of chemistry things happening inside of us it's just i'm i'm enjoying the context of being outside of the mountains i will also say i I'm addicted to learning, travel, and new experiences. I've been traveling. I love to travel. Like the, the, this, um quarantine and shelter-in-place has been challenging for me because I like I'm on planes constantly. It's probably the longest stretch that I've not been on an airplane going somewhere to explore someplace in 20 years, and so. The idea of exploration, there's there's some chemistry behind it. I enjoy the rush of dopamine and with novelty, new places, new interesting things. Um, and so, part of it is I also feel alive when I challenge myself, and and that's the space that I choose to do it. And I I would say I'm I'm an adventurer. I'm not as hardcore as others, uh, especially my co-author, who you will meet next week or you know he he's definitely taken it to the next level but I think part of it is we enjoy that challenge we enjoy seeing physically what our bodies can do mentally because most of these adventures are also very much a mental game um we enjoy pushing ourselves and learning and growing and seeing it as an opportunity to do that but I also just love the exploration of seeing somewhere new talking to the people eating the food smelling the smells like it's it's all um, the enjoyment of new experiences, and that's part of it. And I always take something new and different from the places that I go, um, and and the challenges that I take on. And that, to me, it's it just it makes life richer because I have this library of stories now of the places I've been, things I've seen, mountains I've climbed that I feel like I, help me as a business leader as a consultant as a friend as a spouse as a family member like they they just inform all aspects of my life and that's that's the why it's not because it's there it's because of the experiences that i have and so when people say like oh it's because it's there i feel like that's a real shortcut answer like it's it's because what you gain from doing the things that you thought you couldn't do. And there's, there's something really special and powerful in that experience. And also, as I've learned in the last eight or so years, our brains work best when we're outside and in motion. And so I try and put myself outside and in motion as much as I possibly can, because it links to all these other aspects of my personal performance that are Undeniable from the scientific evidence, so I'm. I definitely take the time and space to do that for myself.
0: Well, no, see, now that answer resonates with me because you know, basically, that's that's all reason I joined the Marine Corps was because I had a bunch of people yep. tell me that you'd never make it. Like okay, well I, I got this. And and being outside and and being in nature, that is something that's always kind of been with me as well. I grew up in Northeast Tennessee. I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. The uh, the L- Appalachian Trail ran through my hometown. So Oh, cool. Yeah, so you know, growing up, I always got to see these, you know, people hiking the trail. They would come in uh you get supplies and do laundry and you know, we would actually uh uh I had a my favorite teacher, uh Timothy Higgins, if if you're listening. You had a big impact, even though you probably thought you didn't at the time. Uh, but his, um, he, he taught history and geography in, in a very interactive sort of way. And one of the things that he did at the uh, for his kind of final uh, was there was a stretch of the trail. It was about eight miles, and he would take the class, and we would hike that eight-mile stretch of, of the Appalachian Trail. And uh, that was Amazing. it. Uh, it was. That's
1: amazing, right? And <laughs> yeah. and clearly stuck with you to this day. Like, that's a very powerful learning experience.
0: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the travel, I really wish, you know, uh, you see that statistic and it floats around or it changes a little bit, but how like the vast majority of people never leave like a 50-mile radius of their hometown. And that, that <laughs> that I don't understand even more than the adventure piece because, you know, I've I've been to Japan. That's really the only place overseas that I've been. Uh, but it was great, and and there's so much. Even- well, you hearing- picked you
1: picked a good one. That's one of my favorite places on earth. It's it's amazing. Um, if if after all this is said and done, Japan's like one one of my top countries that I I head to on a regular basis. I and and to for full disclosure my husband happens to be an airline pilot so I kind of won the lottery there in loving to travel and having an opportunity to to get myself on planes any chance I get but yeah japan is amazing
0: oh yeah and and the people and the culture and you know but even here in the US you know there's so much to see yes. in these in these states and just people get out take an adventure get in the car go see something new
1: because that novelty, like just exposing yourself to things that you don't know actually makes you more innovative. So if you're just, if you're stumped in a problem, if you're thinking about, you know, big questions in life, just getting out and doing something new and different, whether it's a hobby, whether it's going to a new town or a new city, it, it all impacts the, our processing, our subconscious processing. We- we that exposure to things that we're not used to yes might be a little unnerving at first especially if it's something that you're really stretching and going somewhere like if you've never been out of the country and you went to japan that is definitely some culture shock it's different Um, but those types of experiences actually help you think better and come up with good ideas so i always tell. entrepreneurs people who want to like do something different have to take risks like travel is such a great way to do that and taking adventures and and they don't have to be massive adventures like you said you know it's it's taking a taking a a car trip 50 miles away like it's not it's it doesn't have to be big It, it has to be you know just a different way of thinking and something new
0: so let me ask you this: uh, If, if you, you like Japan, you get there as much as as you can. Uh, have you ever read the book uh, Musashi? No. So what I would I would highly suggest uh, reading reading the it's they call it a historical fiction, uh, and so it's based off of an of, of a real swordsman. Uh, actually, the author of the book of Five Rings, Miyamoto Musashi. Uh, but it's kind of a fictional telling of his life and and adventures as a swordsman, and if you've been to to Japan, you'll you'll recognize a lot of the the cities and prefectures uh, mentioned through the book. And uh, that, that's always my suggestion whenever I find out somebody's going. It's it's a long read, uh, but it's kind of worth it because it 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 gives you a decent historical backdrop uh, uh, when you're going through Japan of of these. Places and like it kind of ties back to the actual history of, of the island. Uh, so, yeah. If All right, it's choose. on my list. It's on my list. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, wild success seven key lessons business leaders can learn from extreme adventurers. Uh, let's just go ahead and kind of like work down each one of these if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, the the first chapter is about cognitive reappraisal, getting a different perspective. So what's what's so important about that?
1: Yeah, so so I will say, don't skip the introduction. Oftentimes, I'll skip an introduction to a book. Don't skip this introduction. There's like a bonus story in there. That's a good one. I agree um, with her. <laughs> but the the well, and it tells you a bit more about um the platform for all the the humans and the stories in the book too. But the the first chapter is about a really cool guy named mark matthews and mark is a australian big wave surfer he is uh he's been a champ surfer for years and he does the big waves he does waves that most of us would look at and not even believe a human would ever think about going into these waves and he's been surfing for a while now and if you're a big wave surfer if you're surfing anything over six to 10 feet, um, you, you have probably gotten yourself into some trouble. Most surfers have gotten, you know, hammered and pummeled by the ocean. It is, it is a force. And Mark is no different. He has had injuries. And so um, the story kind of sur- surrounds uh, an injury that he had a few years ago. And uh, he went in too soon after getting a shoulder injury and he got injured again. And it was a really tough injury. And and the the docs thought that he was gonna have to have a leg amputated, but he um ended up not needing that, but he needed to to really reappraise what was happening. Because if you thought about if you think about like what is the one tool that I need to be able to do what I love doing more than anything else in the world, and what if I have damaged it or lost it or can't use it anymore? you could go into a pretty pretty huge funk. You know, mm-hmm. d- depression can set in um, if you've ever had a setback that's just been tremendous. Like, you know what this feels like. And most of us at some point have had this kind of setback. And Mark is really in tune with his mind and how it works and his body and how it works. Um, more so than like the casual surfer dude at- attitude that you might think. He's really cerebral. And so from him we learn around how do you actually reappraise situations to get a different perspective to see the silver lining to be positive on outcome with recognizing the challenge that you have um currently and it's and it's it's, it's this first chapter i think is actually really helpful for all of us right now um re re-examining, being grateful for, and reappraising or or rethinking about negative circumstances and framing what can we what can we take from it? What are we gonna grow? What are we gonna learn from? What's the optimism? And so there's a situation that Mark goes through that kind of forces him to cognitive reappraise his situation, but but it's something that he's been doing for such a long time that he gets in the habit of any setback. He thinks, you know, what am I going to get? What am I going to learn from this? This isn't a failure. This isn't a problem that I can't overcome. And it actually makes him much more optimistic around just about everything in his life. And so he's one of those guys that he he can take on anything, that he knows that with his positive attitude, he can get to the other side. And so part of it is the perspective he takes is really like it's about high performance and it's about you know doing the the things that most humans couldn't do and part of it is is the idea of practicing thinking about failures and setbacks from a positive lens and that's um something that it's (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm having to reappraise lots in life these days and I think a lot of people probably are but being able to set up that habit and do it in small ways I think helps all of us sort of see because we're ne- we're negatively wired and so being able to be more positive in our outlook on challenges is really helpful from a leadership lens
0: yeah well in a you know reading his story there, there were a bunch of things that really resonated with me one uh, I love when you talked about uh the, his kind of pre uh, pre surf ritual that's like yeah. slowing down the breathing and and, and accepting the fear and uh, you know that that's one of the things that they they teach us quite a bit in the military is is you yeah. know control the breathing, come to grips with reality, know what's coming, and and be ready to to attack it. But the other thing that struck me was you know kind of after the the injury, uh, you know I I, I, I saw him going through a lot of the same things that that my brothers and sisters who are injured in combat go through with as you said you know this was his life this is what he was doing and now uh at least at a few points it it seemed like he may not be able to do that and and that to me uh you know is is a big factor in the whole veteran suicide epidemic because yep. when you take something that ingrained away from somebody it leaves a
1: huge void right yeah, it it really does. Um and my my brother was in the Marine Corps as well and so like I've I've seen it and I've seen the the idea that something that is so such an ingrained part of your day-to-day and to have that disappear or to be finished with it um becomes a loss and there's there's the pattern of grief that happens whenever you have some sort of loss. And it's tough that if you don't have the support around you, or you don't have the cognitive ability to understand and put words to how do I get myself through this? How do I think about this differently? What's happening to me? Why I can't, you know, if understanding like negative, those negative emotions keep you alive, but they also can hamper your progress in some ways. And just from the the neurobiological standpoint, you can actually grow that fear response and that sadness um, response much stronger if you spend more time in it. And so part of it is, and I I tell people all the time in thinking about reappraisal and thinking about reframing, you have to to teach yourself to talk to yourself in a much nicer voice. Because the things we often say to ourselves we would never say out loud to another person and give them the same advice <laughs> like we'd tell ourselves. And and reappraisal is about retraining the way you think and that, that voice to to get to that positive outcome, to get to the recognition of the challenges that you have. And so, yeah, I think you're right that a lot of people struggle with that because they get stuck on pause in that negative space and they're not able to reappraise because the, the language is still relatively fresh and new for a lot of us around how we talk about our thinking. And without those tools, you can you can be at a loss and you can really struggle with it with things like depression, with anxiety. Um, yeah, and and we're seeing it. And so the the fact that we're talking about it more now, we're putting that language to it is helpful for all of us, not in the leader not even in the leadership realm, but just in the mental health realm. And I'm I'm happy to see it because a couple of years ago they were saying, you know, mental health disorders are going to be one of the the highest risk factors for all of us. And we're kind of seeing that happen. Um, But also there's a lot more recognition that that's okay, that we all are going to face that at some point in our lives. And so part of it is giving people the tools from science to talk about it in a much more effective and productive way.
0: I I agree 100%. So, so the next lesson Grit, mm-hmm. the passion mm-hmm. to prevail.
1: Yeah, so this is a really interesting story um, of of novices. And, like, if you've ever felt like you've been an utter novice at something and you've never done something before, I really like the, the story that we've used are to folks who their couple, they were at the time, and they decided to row across the Atlantic Ocean on a whim. And so they said, we're going to do this. And if you've ever taken on a huge challenge that seemed insurmountable, and sometimes just downright crazy, part of it is then you know what what do you need to actually prevail and and succeed at that challenge and grit makes a huge part of it and so you know a lot of the a lot of the research in another book that's really great i mean Angela Duckworth writes about grit just spectacularly and so seeing sort of her lessons come into the story of Paul and Tori, who are our ocean rowers. Part of it is like, what's the story that we're telling ourselves when we're novices and we're trying something new? You know, what prevents us from just like running the other direction or sort of succumbing to imposter syndrome, which I just talked to so many people about so many times. It's like, oh, I shouldn't be here. I'm not qualified for this. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, part of it is they're, they're just a cool example of you make a plan and you stick to that plan and you work hard and it's uncomfortable and it's not always what you want to be doing. Like you'd rather be down at the pub enjoying some quality time with friends, but what are you doing? You're like, you're writing sponsorship grants and you're physically training and you're rowing and you're doing all these things because you've got something you're going after. And it gives you that focal point. And it's, you know, that deliberate practice that, you know, in order to be successful, at anything that you're new at you got to put the work in and it's one of those those reminders that you can get through imposter syndrome by just an awful lot of hard work and determination but also that recognition like you got also pat yourself on the back when you get through things so the a couple of like the business stories that come that i had conversations with some people around like that whole phrase fake it till you make it which i'm still like even though it's in the book and it's one of the things that I think is important it also like I've also sort of thought about my thinking around fake it till you make it like is that inauthentic like I'm still sort of I think about it all the time like it's it's about building your like not quitting and and that whole idea of like you're not being fake but you're just not quitting like you're going to keep trying until you actually get good at something and I think that's grit is really a key piece of you know when you come into something as a novice just kind of putting your head down head down and realizing like I can do this and I can believe in myself and let's see what happens and if I fail spectacularly I will learn something from it and that's that's really kind of the core of my take on grit.
0: Yeah, no, I like it and and Thank you for putting some pictures in the book because I'm gonna be yeah, 100.
1: percent
0: <laughs> well, I'll be 100 honest. When I first started reading this story, and I, I I read rowing across the Atlantic, the first thing that popped in my head was just a little rowboat, <laughs> and then I see this thing, and and this is like a this is a technological wonder here. This this it's is a beast. It is, um, and and so you say they just kind of. I mean, I'm sure there was a little bit more to it, but there's like, hey, we want to roll across the Atlantic, so let's start yeah. going down this path.
1: It's well, and it's funny because a lot of adventures are spontaneous like that. Like they'll they'll just think about something and go for it, and. um... Paul who's kind of a cheeky Irish guy he he is just that kind of guy he'd be like what do you want to do yeah okay let's go for it and this was you know a subtle suggestion from some a friend of his and there's a a contest and he just decided to go for it and it's it's one of those things like yeah I'll give it a go I'll 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 have a shot at it let me let me try this one on for size and and he is um, kind of that that fearless adventurer that knows he's gonna he's gonna grow and develop, but but also isn't like afraid of the hard work. and and in fact, um it's not in the book, but uh, an adventure that I went on with Paul as well as Kevin, my co-author. and um, there were 11 of us. We actually went on and that's the the cover picture in the book is Us in the Arctic and we took a team of 11. And we walked across Baffin Island, which if you're not familiar with Baffin Island, it's it's in the high Arctic and it's uh, the fifth largest island on earth. And so we took a team of 11 and we walked across this thing and it was a uh, hundred kilometers and we spent 11 days and we took a, a wide range of people from an adventure standpoint. We took someone who had really never been camping before Mm. and and at the the head so kevin and i were co-leading this expedition kevin was sort of the expedition lead because he had the the deepest experience he's got a, a guinness book of world record um to the traversing to the South Pole, so he he is like a a, a human version of a polar bear. <laughs> and so we we um, Paul was also on this trip, and it was one of those things we said, "Hey P- Paul, we'd love to have you on the trip. Do you want to go?" And he's absolutely sounds fantastic. So Paul is one of those guys that you kind of want on these expeditions because he's not afraid of hard work. He's a he's good for a laugh, and he knows he can do just about anything. So um, yeah, it's he's he's one of those people that just exudes, you know, a effort and thoughtfulness on anything that he undertakes. And so that was that was a fun trip with him.
0: No, I I, I imagine. Now, so when I first got out of the Marines, my very first job was in a uh, uh, little town. And, and the fact that my wife stayed with me through this lets me know that we're going to be together forever. Uh, but it's a little town called Bethel, Alaska.
1: Yes. And,
0: uh, you know, so I'm I've, <laughs> <clears throat> I've been in... You know, forty plus below. Yes. Uh, temperatures that's good. And uh, so again, it's, it's when you said he's he's like a human polar bear. That's what everybody always says about me is because like I <laughs> I love cold. I really do love cold. And and so that was great for me. But seeing some of the temperatures in here, like a, one, I don't know if it was this one or not, but there was one uh, in here that we're talking about like being like was it like a hundred and twenty Fahrenheit below? Yes.
1: Yes, that's Kevin. Kevin's trip to the South Pole just sounds absolutely hideous to me. I mean, we we hit 40 below on our expedition, and we had some real nasty weather and some terrible wind. Luckily, no one got frostbite, no one got um, seriously injured, but when Kevin tells me the story of... And, and Matt who also is a polar adventure in chapter three um, I it just blows my mind and having that appreciation for the suffer fest that they endured because it's mm. it's one thing to be in those temperatures when you know you can go inside it's another entirely when you know that you are camping and there might be polar bears and you've got a you're hauling a you know 70 pound sled behind you every day on either snowshoes or crampons and you're walking on glare ice and And there are moments that you go, why am I doing this again? But then you realize, like, (laughs) oh, no, this is and that that place in particular was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been on Earth. And knowing that, like, not a lot of people head up there for their vacation, it it felt really special because it was it's it's empty and it's but it's the mountains are glorious up there. And it's just granite. It's like twice the size of anything you see in Yosemite. And it's just all around you and it's empty and unbelievable.
0: Oh, yes. No, it's, it is. it is, And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you all went through this, but the thing that got me, even being in a, a quote, city like Bethel, I think there was, like, 3,000, 3,500 people yeah. in Bethel. But it's, it's just so quiet and peaceful.
1: Um, it's really interesting, because at one point, we had no wind, and so I stopped the team that we were with, and I said, you know what, guys, let's Let's just take a moment and just spend a couple of minutes in absolute silence. And we did a little meditative activity because I like to meditate. And it was it was really amazing because I I don't know if I've ever sort of that's that level of silence just doesn't occur. <laughs> and and it just it's there was no wind. It was absolutely still and it was it's funny because a few people were like that was my favorite couple of minutes on the whole trip because you just realized how far away you were from anywhere and how um how you had to be sort of independent and just the natural beauty that you were surrounded by and the just lack of humanity anywhere near us it was pretty spectacular but it was it was also a little you know for a few minutes it was unnerving because it was like we are very far away if something goes wrong because <laughs> i was as, as one of the leads i was like please don't let anything go wrong on this trip i think we're prepared we're well but you know you have a moment or two where you're like Oh boy, yeah, we're pretty far from anywhere right up here. So it was, it was both uh, a lovely moment, and I had a, a small bit of terror, but I got over it pretty quickly. And everybody, luckily, uh, did well, including our never been camping person before. She was, she was a rock star. It was amazing,
0: outstanding. Well, that that's a great story that kind of segues into number three: yeah. growth mindset. Sitting still mm-hmm. means going backwards.
1: Yeah. So. Polar adventurer Matt McFadgen who is um, uh, an, another Australian, funny enough, um, and Australia is about the furthest place from the North Pole you could possibly imagine. I mean, climate-wise, attitude-wise, and so this guy decides he's going to be an adventurer, and he, um you know, he he had a lot of friends and family, sort of not necessarily believe he's going to do it and and he is the epitome of growth mindset like he he seeks out feedback he always sees things as a learning opportunity he asks people for input and and people give it to him and and sometimes you know when you get feedback from people It's it's tough. It's their lens. And you may not always believe it or it may be hurtful or, you know, show you a a lens you're not necessarily looking through. And so he's always been that person who he was a he was a sailor. He went on these he went to the North Pole three times on foot, which is a very small club of people who have done this. and um he he then shifted into sort of the corporate landscape and and not having any sort of corporate background, like struggled there. like he puts himself in lots of uncomfortable situations to see what he can learn from them. And it's pretty spectacular because he he um, if I call myself a kind of glass glass, mostly fuller overflowing like his glass is like a fountain like everything <laughs> is super positive and he he's always you know looking to to develop and and see the good in things and so um his his story which you know kind of is astounding in the fact that like this this kind of kid from the the rough and tumble parts of sydney went on to be this world class adventurer and speaker and corporate, um, <laughs> corporate, work. like he, he just defied all the logic in terms of the limiting beliefs he may have had growing up in his experiences. And that's one of the things that I think is really handy. He, he and I often have conversations cause we both grew up in like these blue collar neighborhoods. And like, you know, a lot of people that we went to high school with would, would kind of rag on us for you know being ridiculous and not, you know, what are you doing? What are you talking about? You're not going to be doing all these crazy things. And here the two of us have gone on to do crazy and amazing things and are so happy about it that we didn't sort of let those limiting beliefs or constraints that we thought might not have um, given us the opportunity to think and and try. Um, I think that's, that's kind of growth mindset in a nutshell is, is realizing that you, you got to shut those voices down, whether they're in your own head or listening to others who think they may know what's best for you. And, and part of it is giving it a go.
0: Well, and, and you know, again, what I loved about this one, and I, I never thought about it this way until Simon Sinek, uh, in one of his talks, he, he, he was talked about the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. and uh, he he was talking about uh, to me it resonated with this when he said you know he goes take a look at the marines he goes they, they use this as a marketing tactic he goes if you look at their entire the few the proud the marines they're basically telling you you know most people aren't going to make it you're probably not one of them but just <laughs> in case you think you can here's our card
1: right like it's it's one of those things like it's with that 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 area of belief is so powerful because we want to believe in ourselves but there's so many things that root against us including our own brains that that stop us that stop us from giving it a go and you know i think about there's there's a pretty i i don't know exactly what the statistic is but there's that that statistic even with men and women applying for jobs that women tend to like not even think of that they're qualified to apply for a job unless they have a hundred percent of the qualifications right like they just right. don't have that belief that they can do it whereas men they're like yeah i got like 40 percent of what this job has. i'm gonna go for it right so, yeah. so part of it is like getting to that mindset of the like i'm just gonna go for it and see what happens and and that's it and realizing and it reframes the idea of failure growth mindset does and and does that deeply so you don't think about or sort of let yourself wallow in the space of failure you look at that and flip it flip the script and say you know what I'm going to, whatever, whatever happens here, whether people might think it's a success or people think it's a failure, it's about what I think about my efforts and do, have I learned from it? Have I had an experience that I can tell stories around? Have I been able to see things? Right. So, so I think it's that, that idea of what's your mindset on failure and and shifting that.
0: Well, yeah. And that ties in uh, to number four purpose, Mm -hmm. finding your spark. Now, yeah, you know, I think purpose is another one of those we talked about a little bit with uh, cognitive reappraisal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that purpose piece, again, with the veteran suicide epidemic, I think that is a very integral piece of that because, you know, when you've been doing something that you really love, that is your purpose. But then yeah. when something happens and that purpose gets yanked from you, it's kind of hard to to rebound from that, right?
1: And to have to redefine it and think and, and really do that soul searching as part of it and, and to understand like what makes you fulfilled because it's a lot of people chase happiness, but part of it is people need to really think about meaning and and oftentimes right thinking about that meaning of being able to serve country, serve your fellow soldier, serve, you know, for a greater purpose when that gets taken away, absolutely that has an impact. Um and and one of the interesting stories, so the the story is around a woman who kind of chucks it all, right? Like she has everything going for her and she chucks it because she didn't feel purposeful in her life and her career, and she went to go row an ocean, more ocean rowing. Um, <laughs> but but then she kind of realized, like, what am I just doing rowing an ocean? Like, I'm realizing that there's something even greater here and thinking about our oceans and our environment and what we as human or humans are doing to them. And she rode every ocean on earth. And that is mm. insane to me. Like she is, and she's a spark. Like she's a petite British woman who is lovely. Um, and she, she's like, yeah, I just did it. Like it's, it's one of those things that you, you get the fire and you go and she, she definitely has that fire. And so part of it is figuring out like, what gives your life meaning and that's that can be really scary <laughs> yeah. um whether someone has it and it gets taken away or someone finds out like oh what is my life what is it what am i doing like what what am i creating of meaning and of value and how am i helping people and how am i you know doing something bigger than just myself and so there's there's a couple of exercises in there that i think are really useful to to do that and to find a spark to help you define it cuz most people everything that I've seen means it it says that if you have a purpose, whether you're a person or an organization, you just do better and and on all levels. And so part of it is like, how often do we sit, take that pause and think about our purpose? And it's really important to do. Well,
0: well, and and again, like you just kind of uh, said there, what I liked about this one was uh, it it was it was not just a aha, this is my purpose. It was, hey, I'm going to take this step. Which led mm-hmm. her down a path, which led her to her purpose, and, yeah. and and I think that's where this. What I like about this tying it back to adventures is is, you know, that's that's a lot of times what it takes is is having those experiences, seeing those things, and and a lot of times your purpose finds you. You don't necessarily find it.
1: <laughs> that's funny how that works sometimes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the uh, the the old yeah. saying: when the the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of the same thing here. When 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 you are ready, the purpose will appear. Uh, so the next one, innovation, big dreams and big struggles. What's that one all about?
1: Yeah. So I am. Um, I'm super passionate about the space of innovation. So a little more than a decade ago, I moved to Silicon Valley because I wanted to like crack in and figure out like what is going on in this interesting space in america where all these big ideas are coming from and so i wanted to spend some time working in these tech companies and i did as a consultant for a long time and then i started to dive into the neuroscience and ended up doing a master's thesis on the neuroscience of innovation where do ideas come from how does our brain come up with these ideas and how does that work in the corporate world and so the innovation piece um we sort of profile this adventurer who's kind of had to innovate in his career from a mountaineer to like now doing wingsuit and jet wing um flying like he's kind of taken this crazy path he's one of those people who like he he will he'll do anything he is he is a bit of a nutter um in the best possible way but part of it was like what where do you get these crazy ideas rex what are you doing and we um we've we've had sort of these long drawn out conversations about you know where do these ideas come from and we realized and and it reinforced all the study that i did like he's the human uh epitome of like you got to get outside you've got to expose yourself to things that are not the stuff you see every day you've got to dream big you've got a daydream you've got to give your brain the space to process and think bigger and you have to struggle so you can't come up with a great idea unless you have struggle attached to it unfortunately that's part of the equation and so it's about thinking about how do i get a more innovative mindset and adventure i think is is an unlikely place you would look for it but just talking to an adventurer around like, why did you come up with this idea to go do things? Cause now like all the big stuff's been conquered. So now people are coming up with really interesting ways to innovate in the adventure world. Like I'm going to be the first person to do X, Y, and Z sort of on skis, in a parachute <laughs> with a surfboard, doing this and that. And that like, they've got to be clever now to get attention. And so that space is actually getting, you know, some really innovative new ways of approaching it, very similarly to what's happening in the tech field, like these iterations of innovation. And that's, um, that's kind of what that chapter holds is is thinking about that innovation mindset that you can generate and some, some aspects of it that I think are really important that we don't always think of, because oftentimes, at least here, I see people say like, go into a, conference room for 20 minutes and come out with the next best idea like it doesn't (laughs) actually work like that like it'd be nice but you're not actually going to have you might have some incremental innovation but for truly novel ideas there's a couple other factors that come into play
0: oh yeah no definitely and then you know as uh, as you were saying it like I'm sitting here uh like I I can't imagine if you went back to Orville and and Wilbur Wright and you said one day somebody's just going to strap a wing to their back and jump out of a helicopter. <laughs> and they're going to go,
1: what's yeah. a helicopter? And what? Like, I can't even fathom what you are talking about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Right. Like, and it's those increments that make the difference, but yeah, they could not have imagined what, what this guy does with a wingsuit and helicopter. And all- like, it's, I mean, it's even, I'm pretty adventurous and even the stuff he does, I'm like, Ooh, like it makes me, <laughs> start to chew my fingernails and go like oh that's 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 a lot that's that's pretty extra so
0: uh, uh, but that requires in the next one resilience and bouncing forward <laughs> now with, with what we're talking about bouncing forward could have some serious negative uh, implications with <laughs> yeah this. no not
1: from a flight yeah not from a wingsuit <laughs> standpoint you don't want to bounce them forward there that would be bad <laughs> definitely be bad um yeah, resilience is something that I think a uh, hot topic these days and uh, one of the most important things, I think, for adventurers to have in spades. And so I've actually been talking about resilience a lot with people right now when difficult things happen. Because, you know, if you think about it, you can't uh, you can't really measure your resilience unless you have bad things happen to you. Like, right. you don't know how resilient you'll be unless you have suffered a bit. And Um, you can plan for it. You can do some scenario planning. You can think about it. You can surround yourself with people who you love to make sure you've got a support network when those bad things happen. You can, um, yeah, you can do a lot in terms of you can kind of inoculate yourself with the stress that you know, put yourself in similar situations to something you might anticipate But resilience is a funny one. And Lisa Blair, who's um, profiled in this chapter, is one of the most resilient people that we've ever met. And, And like this bubbly, amazing human being who, funny enough, likes to spend a lot of her time by herself on the ocean. And so she's done some ridiculous things like sail around Antarctica and sail around Australia by herself. Um, she's a really tough cookie and part of it is the resilience that she's built over many years of putting herself in these extreme circumstances and practicing and planning. And and she's just really um, got a very solid spirit and and one that I think we can all learn from um, when, when thinking about when those tough things happen, it's like, okay, what has she, what has she done? And when things go dark and they're hard, what is, what does she do? She reaches out to the people in her life that support her and can also be really honest with her about where she's at and how she's emotionally processing thing and for Lisa it's her mom like her and her mom are tied at the hip so it's it's a cool lesson of when things go really bad and there's something that happens in the chapter that goes really bad like what, what do you do and um do you quit do you do you shift what do you how do you approach it and so that's part of it is recognizing as leaders we're all going to have something bad happen and it's how do we respond in that moment? And then how do we how do we bounce forward from it? How do we not just bounce back, but how do we actually get better? And there's really cool research around the fact that there's there's this whole space that they're talking about in resilience research that we can bounce forward. We can actually grow from a setback better than we were before the setback actually happened. And, and especially in studying things like grief and loss of a partner and loss of a job and loss of like deep loss. um, That's it. It turns out we can actually do some things with ourselves to avert, not just avert sort of the loss and get back to normal, but actually get back to a state that we're in a better place.
0: Yeah, no, I, I loved, I loved this one and it reminded me, you know, I love what you said there because it's it's true, you know. I mean, things bad things are going to happen, and you know, I, I one of my first podcasts uh, episodes of of this podcast was uh, talking about uh, Gene Kranz and his response to the Apollo One disaster and mm-hmm. and the speech that that he gave, and uh, you know, when I was I was reading through some of this, like I was I was drawn back to some of the things he said there. Uh, about uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever have you ever heard the speech. As I haven't victim?
1: heard it. I I haven't heard it in detail now. I I recall it from a history standpoint, but I don't I don't know if I recall specifically the speech.
0: So yeah, I mean the the gist of it is is uh, you know for for folks who aren't big on history, the Apollo One mission uh, before they even got a chance to 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 take off. Uh, there was a disaster in the capsule. Uh, they were pumping oxygen in it, doing run-ups, getting ready for a launch. And there was a spark, and it uh, lit the oxygenated environment, and killed the three astronauts on board. And Gene Kranz, before there was even the, uh, the investigation, he came in and said, look, this is what went wrong. This is how we're going to fix it. And this is what we're going to do moving forward to make sure it never happens again. And, you know, and it in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, when you fast forward to the Apollo 13 disaster, if he doesn't, in a lot of ways, bounce forward, like what you're, you're talking about here, if he doesn't do that, that whole scenario turns out completely different for him and his career. And who do we don't know who would have been in charge of Apollo 13 and how that mission would have played out.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and it's, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's just one of those things we're we're embracing. I like that resilience, embracing it when things go bad, uh, because you never know what next is going to go bad. I think that yeah. Apollo One prepared him to be able to handle Apollo uh, Apollo One prepared him to be able to handle Apollo thirteen as famously as he did. Yeah. So, uh, which brings us to uh, number seven: personal so, sustainability. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, no. It's, so chapter 7 is Personal Sustainability Building Balance. And I'm going to let you talk to Kevin about this chapter because this chapter is about Kevin. Okay. And Kevin has um, a real knack for being able to balance out. He is... Uh, you know, as much as I like to say, like, oh, I, I, I dabble in a lot of things. I enjoy lots of aspects of my life and have a couple of different chapters. Um, he he is a really fascinating human in terms of all the things that he's balanced. He's, you know, an architect. He is in business. He is an adventurer. He's a dad. <laughs> like, he's got a lot going on. And, and I've always sort of said, like, how do you do all of this, Kevin? Like, it is amazing. And so... Um, um he and i actually really enjoyed sort of writing this chapter together because it's it's really a great story and life lessons for how to how to balance like you hear work life balance and it's that integration of all the things that you like and how he sounds like he never says no to things, but he actually really like very specifically says no to certain things. And it's it's really like, how does he get all this energy to do all these crazy things all the time? So he is like the Energizer Bunny and uh, <laughs> his his lessons on sustainability are good ones and the reasons why he does what he does.
0: Good. Okay. Yeah. And uh, again, for the listeners, uh, we will have Kevin on uh, next episode. So be sure that you tune in to that one. uh, So we can we can chat with him and get his perspective on some of these. Uh, And again, we've been talking with Amy Posey, the the other half of the writing team, Amy Posey, Kevin Valilee, of Wild Success, Seven Key Lessons Business Leaders Can Learn from Extreme Adventurers. Uh Amy, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you this uh almost last hour or so. So uh thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much, Earl. Thanks for having me a great conversation and appreciate um appreciate the good the good conversations about things that are really important to leaders these days. Oh
0: absolutely. Well before we uh work to close out, uh, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would like to that you would like to touch on?
1: Um I mean, I think part of it is just getting a different context and a take on leadership and using adventure as a platform to explore these topics is is a fun way to to you know spend a couple of days reading so definitely pick up the book um we've got more on our website on morewildsuccess.com if you want to grab a copy of the book and uh learn more about us happy to happy to share and and chat more we do some stuff every now and then with uh seminars and things like that to kind of get get more word out about the book but I, i hope people enjoy it we enjoyed writing it tremendously and telling the stories that are in it
0: Absolutely. And I, I agree with her hundred percent. Get a copy. Uh, it's a great read. Um, morewildsuccess.com. Uh, is that the best way for people to to reach out? and? and it is.
1: And- it's at their local booksellers, which are maybe open again. But if you want to go to morewildsuccess.com, you can get that. You can get a cool reading guide with some very thought provoking questions that you can't get in the book and okay. uh, more about us. Oh, good.
0: Okay. Well, I'll make sure I get that link uh, in the show notes so everybody can find it uh, Find it nice and easy.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Earl. All
0: right. Well, Amy, again, thank you very much for being with us. And uh, listeners, thank you for sticking with us. I hope you found this conversation as as amazing as I did. Again, go pick up a copy of the book. I, I, I'll uh, feel that strongly about it. I'll say it again. Um, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, you can reach out at burden.command at gmail.com. With that, I just want to say thank you for your time and sticking with us, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour.
1: to cast